What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Whiskey, Web, and Whatnot, your favorite podcast about whiskey, web, and whatnot, with your hosts, Robbie the Wagner and Charles William Carpenter the Third. What? Am I too loud for you? A little bit. There's a little reverb. Okay. That's how, All right. how is it much you're eating the mic right now. But folks, we're experimenting with some new technologies <laughs> to see if we can further enhance your listening delight. And uh, Robbie's failing, so apologize for that. Well, yeah. Turns out it's a really complex problem. And like sound engineers have hard jobs that require specialized knowledge that we don't have. And maybe we should just hire them to make our stuff not suck. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll depend on the software on the other side. It's hard to say. So trying out, well, yeah, I mean, just for those curious on the technology side of things, typically we record in a software, a SaaS product called Riverside, which how does that relate to podcasts? I don't know, but uh, trying Zencaster so that we can get in a state of Zen with our voices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's similar. It lacks some of the features. It's like a new thing where they kind of do everything which is kind of cool. So they have like a built-in monetization thing and they have like automatic transcripts and they do video. You can do like video RSS feeds and various stuff. So I'm excited to try it out. I hope it lives up to the hype. Uh, one of the cool things you can do is this. Uh, tell me a joke real quick, Chuck. Um, Robbie had a tan. <laughs> Did <laughs> nice. you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the rim, uh, you can add effects, and and that was a rim shot, which was about uh, all that joke deserved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I put you on the spot. We weren't ready, but uh, yeah, you can put in your own sounds. I haven't changed the default ones yet, but uh, I'm thinking one day we'll put in the intro and outro music, and like we could just do it all live. I mean, obviously we can add it in post production too, but like yeah, could be cool to just do it all and then like hit ship, like not have to wait two weeks for things to come out just be like we're done boom listen to push it, it when it happens <sighs> yeah push it i haven't even been drinking yet by the way just so you all know well we should be let's get on that let's get on it all right so uh a continuation of the uh bottom shelf series uh which we reserve for robbie and myself to share we're going to do that to a guest today we're having the basic ancient age Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. So this is the non-age stated, but we know from previous episodes that by law, if non-age stated, must be a minimum of four years. I'm sure they pop it right out at four years and two hours. It's proof down to 80. It's a Buffalo Trace product, so it uh, they don't really give you the mash bill percentages, but uh, it's their mash bill number two, which has corn, rye, and barley pretty much like all the other ones. Yep. Ancient Age has a few other expressions. There is the Ancient Ancient Age, which I believe is a 10-year uh, and has some stars on it and some other fancier things, but harder to get. So that doesn't apply to this particular series. Let's just start at the baseline and see where we go from, right? Yeah. No fun pop on this one with a screw cap. At least the bottle's metal. I'll give it that. Glass, you mean? Yeah, the bottle's glass. <laughs> if it were metal, that would be pretty cool. There you go. That's our whiskey company. All right. So I think I've poured enough of this. But yeah, this is, uh, I don't know if you mentioned explicitly, but this is uh, Buffalo Trace. Did you say that? I did. Mash bill number two from Buffalo Trace. Yeah. Because it's confusing because it's like one of the ones that like they don't own the name or something. So there's like another company that technically is bottling it, even though they do nothing. Like, 
It's weird. Yeah, the way they have to label things because it's distilled. It's basically distilled by Buffalo Trace, and then I'm sure the the right. trademark is owned, and so they're like licensed to distill for them or something of that nature. But it's a pretty yeah. yeah, it's an old brand. It's, I think it's been around since like the 40s or something. But yeah, it was well known in Kentucky when I lived there. So it actually smells very metallic to me after you said metal. <laughs> I've ruined it. Yeah, it's the metal bottle it's in. Yeah. It's translucent metal bottle. It's like some stuff Iron Man invented. It smells like uh, sour cherry to me. I was about to say kind of cherry cola. I get a light cherry cola, mm. which is nice. And like maybe a little mildewy though. Like cherry cola and mildew. Yeah. There's something. Yeah. Is what I smell. There's something not good. <laughs> well, somewhere in there. Yeah. Bottoms up, brah. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. I get a little metallic taste of it. Mm. It's almost like having like a flat RC cola out of a metal can where you can like taste the can a little because it got flat in there. Like warm, flat, and then like cold again. Yeah. This brings me back to like when everyone starts first having alcohol and you don't buy the good mm -hmm. stuff and you get like pop off vodka or like yeah. shit. But that stuff's painful to drink. <laughs> like that stuff's so bad well, that you follow it up with like Mountain Dew or like Hawaiian Punch or something. You're like, you have this strong sugary chaser. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm not you know, that much disliking this. And we still like the thing I always go back to is I remember that one, I, I think it was like, I don't want to say the wrong name and, <laughs> but like it was the square one. Offend. Our I think it was like red and it was from uh, like some warehouse or something. I don't know, but we gave it like a one or a two. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like one of the worst ones. I like, I wouldn't want to take another sip of it. And this is not, that bad yeah so okay so there we go and it, given that it's only 80 proof it is pretty mild in terms of how long it hangs around so my yeah my first taste had like that metallic more like flat cola to it i'm gonna give it a little more though yeah to me it kind of tastes like if you took jack daniels and added some whiskey flavor to it <laughs> it's got some of the same like bad qualities and like kind of wateriness that's like not my favorite but you can feel that there's a couple of good tastes trying to come through right they just don't quite land it's just not a sipper and it's not like terrible in that and you know but it's not one that you just want to have neat and sip on for a little bit yeah as it sits i almost feel like it has like kind of a I don't know, like a light floral flavor and a little bit like if you were just to like take a piece of wheat and like chew on that a little. Yeah, I'm getting a little of that too. So it just isn't really deep and diverse, but it's not like bad per se. I can see though in getting spirits of this quality why people would really get into cocktails. You know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. this isn't terrible, but it's not great what can I do with this? Like, what are these flavors? What is it missing? Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm going to add some things here, you know, some vermouth or some more herbaceous kind of spirits to it or something. Or, oh, it's a little soury and a little sugar would do something. So I could, I could see where like something like this be fine to have around for experimenting with cocktails. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, I think it's like any other consumable, like... 
if you have filet mignon, you don't have to do as much seasoning because right. it's good. Yeah. If you have like intestines, you probably want to put a lot more like <laughs> flavors in that, you know? Yeah, menudo, right? You just want you want to make menudo out of the insides. You know what that is? I don't. It's a Mexican soup made with uh, tripe, which, you know, innards. Hmm. So there you go. Anyway, chitlins also, a southern one you may have heard of taking those things and flavoring them up. Yes. Well, so we had the Rittenhouse rye, which was, I think, like $27, right? Did we have that? So we bought sorry, it. Sorry, we're getting off track here, but I have one that's unopened, I believe, unless there's just a tiny bit out of it. Mm. No, I, I think it's unopened. Well, then it might be. Because I found it. Like, did we have it together or did we? I don't know. We'll have to look through our old episodes. If you didn't have it, I haven't opened it. I don't open. I'm trying to, no, that would be risky on my part to continue to have it around. So then maybe we have it. But I know that we have a couple in this range that I feel will perform a little bit better. So I don't want it to, oh, so far we've had a couple and they've both been real crap. And, you know, you get what you pay for kind of thing. I don't think that's always the case. Well, I mean, even Buffalo Trace, right? That's 25 bucks. We rated and we rated very well. We rated that an eight. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. this is probably around 20 bucks, give or take. Yeah. Cheaper. I think and a little under, but um, I mean, we did get a whole liter instead of a 750. So, you know, mm-hmm. bonus. And this one feels more like a mixer to me and like Buffalo Trace, I could actually sip. They're both bourbons. They're both low cost. It just, yeah, it's got a little night and day here. I'd give this like a three. Like it's not horrible. I certainly would choose some other things for a few dollars more. But yeah, it's just kind of too low proof for me too. So I would think like their higher proof stuff might be worth a look. A three. Yeah. I'm going to do the same. I Like I mentioned before, I think a one or a two is kind of reserved for I'm not going to drink it again. Hmm. So I'm going to say it's it's decent. I would like to try the older ones. They might be interesting. But yeah, three for me. Three and a quarter stars. No, that was a whole other show. So, speaking of shows, we have one, and uh, we have a loose format around these things. Let's talk about some technical things. Mm -hmm. All right. In particular, it feels as if, top of mind yet again, Guillermo gets back at us again. Next (laughs) JS. By having such damn good products. Right. (laughs) A good meta (laughs) framework that makes even React tolerable for Robbie. He won't love it, but it's tolerable. Well, yeah, so... I'll give a a quick rundown into what I've been doing. So we needed a new podcast site. We're trying to like take over some more of that. Stop using the out of the box, like make me a podcast.com websites and uh, be able to control some of our own analytics, uh, look and feel, et cetera. So I used a tailwind template just to get started. They have a very nice looking one and all of their stuff is in Next.js because, you know, they can't write it in every JavaScript framework because that would be nuts. So it's in Next. It's uh, all like pretty modern. I think it was like just a couple minor versions behind on like the latest Next or something. So it's all the the modern stuff. I think it's kind of halfway in between the new, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there's like the new app JS router or something versus like the pages slash your page or something. Like there's something different there do you know what i'm talking about yeah i'm probably mostly just in reference so the file router versus like the actual app router you know some more choices to potentially make there yeah there's some path differences that you can do well in the 13 release anyway they've been 
cranking out minor releases pretty quickly, doing more things, yeah, getting support for additional things. So it's hard to say like something that maybe was built a month ago would easily be a few versions behind, given those things. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm not sure exactly what I'm talking about there, but it's not necessarily relevant. Not really. But the things that are relevant are like things that haven't changed where, um, a lot of what it leverages is like, uh, get static props. That's the, what it's called, right? <laughs> I don't use it much. So I don't remember. Yeah. This is basically the flag for next to tell you, oh, okay. Um, we're going to load data at build time and output static pages. Yeah. So we leveraged a couple of like Next.js features, which I think, and we'll go more into this if you uh, want to talk about Open Next some after this, but like the things that Vercel excels at is like taking these specific things that Next does and giving you an easy way to use them and like, you know, theoretically the most performant way. So things that we leveraged were the the static props and like we did an API route to go ahead and grab all of the podcasts from the RSS feed and then we paginate it from there so that you're not, because we were loading all 92 episodes or whatever at once and we were getting really bad performance scores. So we fixed that. We fixed a few things from like what the Tailwind template had initially. It had, I don't know, just not quite the right things you would want for everything. Um, like it used icons for the 1X, 2X, like speeding things up for when you're listening to it. And I was like, well, what if I want 1.5 and 1.2 and like, you know, different numbers. So I made it like a div with the numbers instead and added in different like meta tags and like trying to support things that aren't really supported with meta tags yet. Where like, you know, if you post like a Spotify link in uh, Slack, it'll let you hit like play on it sometimes. I thought we'd be able to do that with meta tags, but we can't, like it's not supported yet, but that should be a thing eventually. So we're ready when that hits. Stuff like that. So like, you know, the the thing that I think is weird about React and uh, is like, I don't know if this is how everyone does it, but the way this was structured is they have a whole bunch of JSX kind of in the same file. And instead of having like a component for each thing, they're like, this page is like export homepage or whatever. And it's like a giant messy block of JSX for it. Whereas I would split that into a couple of different things and like have more components. So it was messier than I had anticipated, but the whole deployment process was amazing. Like Mm -hmm. Vercel really shines. I kind of had never, I guess we used it for Swatch for like the download thing. We use it for that, for our download page, but I had never used it for a website really. And the fact that I can just be like, give me analytics, press go. And it's like, it works. And then like, give me speed insights, go. And it just works. And like the dashboards look better than the dashboards I'm used to looking at. And it gives me, you know, even better statistics than like third-party services would because it's where it's hosted. It knows everything about it. It's like, I was very pleased. And I didn't think I was going to be as pleased. Hmm. I was so pleased that I was like, just take some of our money and give us even more of these features. Because like the free tier is very nice too. Like they have a lot baked in. Oh, yeah. But there were a couple of things that I wanted that we had to pay for. Yeah. And they're in, that's the whole point of the business though, right? Like Mm -hmm. at the core of it, it's nothing but AWS. But the AWS console is such a terrible experience and so convoluted 
right? Because it offers so much and you really got to kind of know the levers and what's going on. And they essentially, part of their business model has to be like, we just get some money from just tricking and confusing people. (laughs) So obviously Vercel's business model is about A, providing a better interface over to that, and then just really narrowing down on specific points, right? They don't let you do anything necessarily and they don't deploy it any way you want, they say we built this framework that works in this one very specific way the best. And then at build time, create a thing that allows them to hook into and set up the infrastructure for in a very specific way. And that's always been like kind of the secret sauce. I mean, hey, they were able to raise a lot of money based on that sauce and based on like Mm -hmm. feedback like yours right there, like a great experience, fast, I want to see my stuff quickly. I think they were the first to do preview deployments. I don't think Netlify was first, but maybe if they were, sorry about that. I think it was my first. Well, I think when they were, what was it? Zeit or whatever. Yeah, Zeit. You know, like that stuff was happening pretty early days. And then now with them expanding into like, I mean, you got to think about it, right? If they're giving you analytics and different, I mean, they're just repurposing what's under the hood, Mm -hmm. right? AWS is pushing those things up. CloudFormation stuff, logs, whatever. And they're saying, all this is here. You don't have a great interface to parse that. Let's pull that all together for your thing. So, I mean, that's one yeah. huge point around that. And the fact that they control the framework that goes into that means like start to finish, they've got you. Yeah. And I think it kind of reinforces how I thought I would feel having not really used React or Next much at all before that like Next itself Mm -hmm. is really great. Like all the stuff it adds, no problem with other than like, you know, I guess all of that is from React. Maybe there's some like custom hooks that it has or something, but like Mm. I just don't like hooks. Mostly, most of that's in React. So the big thing that I think I don't know if they're working on this or if there's like a lever to pull to make this work. I had mentioned to you, I was like looking, trying to make the performance better. So it's like, all right, what's our bundle? And the biggest thing in there is React DOM, which I think you have to have basically if you're going to use React. But for a mostly static site like ours, like why can't it do what like Astro does and be like, okay, I see you're using React. And actually I haven't used React in Astro, so I could be wrong about this too. <laughs> but like... We see you're using React, but using get static props and like all of this stuff is mostly static. Let's just throw away React. Like we're just going to generate you an HTML and CSS and JavaScript page and like ship very little JavaScript because we don't really need it. And that's like what I'm missing. If they had a way to get rid of that extra stuff, because we don't really need it to be reactive at all, except for maybe syncing the player up needs some JavaScript for like if you play on the episode page and then go to the list, mm-hmm. it knows which one is playing. So it's like mm. connected behind the scenes. That's still kind of a state thing. So you mentioned get static yeah. props, but get static props is a next thing. That's not a React thing. Right. So if you're on Astro using React to render your things, that's fine. That's one whole other thing. Get static props is a next thing because of its page level routing and page level. Right basically data decision and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's no like Astro Next. Yeah. Well, Astro does is like that by default. So like you write your JavaScript in the front matter on top and it's mm-hmm. it goes away. Yeah. So it's your static server side stuff. So because it just goes away. 
but like maybe neither of them do this, but like it would be cool if one of them was like, oh, I see you wrote your whole app in React, but we see that like none of the stuff needs React. It can just be HTML. Like, yeah, get rid of the React, you know, like that would be cool. Yeah, you're basically take all of your JSX rendered out Mm -hmm. and throw it all away or whatever, because like it's all output at that point. You kind of wonder, though, (laughs) I mean, because what you're dynamically rendering DOM at build time when you get data. I mean, do you even need React to do that? You're just saying I'm used to that syntax. At that point, you're just saying, well, I'm using the syntax and language helpers at, you know, in dev. Yeah. I run it through. It does the thing at build time and then I just throw it all away and I just have a static site. Never does it all come back. So then it just makes you ask in the first place, why did I ever reach for this tool? Well, the reason I did is because it was built in that already. Yeah, like, exactly. If I were starting from scratch, I would have done Astro with just vanilla HTML, CSS, or I guess Tailwind. I shouldn't say CSS. That would get people confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, all I need is HTML and Tailwind for 99% of this site. But it would take me at least a few days to rebuild it in that manner, and I don't have that time. So, I'm like... I'll just use the what we've got. Yeah, but it does make you ask that question ultimately. I mean, I think there's one is, okay, what this site is, which is mostly static, and at build time it's getting new data for newer episodes. But then you've kind of said, like, you might want to use, like, um, headers and do an ISR tactic and, and regeneration. I don't know. I just, for fun, wanted to use cron jobs and, you know, uh, other stuff just because they're tools that were there. And I was like, oh, I want to look at that. But perhaps not the most efficient. But yeah, that's at like the end of the day, if you're just really serving a static site that periodically rebuilds so that people get the new episodes, I mean, definitely is overkill to use next, right? Unless you're just like, I'm used to that, which you're not. So yeah, you got a little a little taste of that flavor, but then at the end of the day, then it also comes back to all these other tools that are kind of attached to that, that yeah, you like the interface, but is it reason enough to pay a little more for Vercel versus like a lot of talk now about SST and their release of Open Next, which essentially has dug into the internals of the next build system and found out ways to leverage those bits to get it straight into AWS in the same way, leveraging all the same you know edge functions and all that fun stuff that Vercel is kind of doing for you while those hooks are in you know the build. So SST, which I don't know, remember what that stands for. My experience with it, super sexy. Yeah. Uh, trees. I think we should get <laughs> one of them on. I follow the folks who who created that framework initially and that are working on that stuff. Dax is like one that's like talking and streaming all the time. But uh, I want to say it's Jay and Frank originally were the ones that I had interactions with because they created a company also called C.run, which basically takes serverless things. And now they do a whole bunch more, but they started out as like get your serverless applications quickly on AWS with like some sugar. It's like very Vercel-like, basically took care of like the CICD part. And I was using it for that. But now they've expanded and they're doing like all of these front-end applications too. So you can still do the serverless stuff. You can do front-end applications. Open Next is their big open source release 
and they it's been around for a little bit but uh now it's like basically supposed to be as equal to Vercel in features of what it leverages in the framework. Now it's not going to give you that the visual analytics and dashboards and stuff that you get otherwise. But if you're saying like, like some of the comparisons I've seen is say you're spending a hundred bucks a month on Vercel, you could spend $20 a month using open next and these other things, but you know, you might have more headaches. So I don't know what that, that is worth in some context. Yeah. I think for me, Vercel has a weird payment model where it's like, you get all this stuff kind of for free and then you add on like ways to make your numbers even more exponential of like you get 25,000 analytics events or something. And then if you pay, you get right. 2 million or whatever, but you don't pay for that or per website or anything you pay for like a team. And then each member you add is like 20 bucks a month or something. Yeah. Like that. Seats. It's the seats model yeah. a little bit. Yeah. That's probably good for, really large organizations. Like if you have a dev team of a hundred plus devs mm -hmm. and you, you know, have 50 websites you don't want to pay for all 50 of them. You just want to pay for all your devs. Like that makes more sense. Yeah. But for a smaller company, you know, like us hosting a quick website for our podcast or whatever, it's, I mean, not that 40 bucks a month for the two of us is like the worst ever. It just seems high for like hosting a, static website yeah so i feel like they should have a way to say like like a la carte stuff like and you know i i don't want pro everything necessarily i just want like this extra one or two things I, i'd give them an extra couple bucks and stay on the free plan you know what i mean like that would be much more attractive to me right let's first of all assume you're not the target market well yeah right they're not skewing their pricing plans in order to best leverage Robbie Wagner. Yeah. You know, and like you said, it's like if you are a big org and your team of 20 or 100 or whatever else, it's probably relatively cheap for you to go to the C model and let people spin up endless projects and sandboxes with all the same features yep. and still feel like, yeah, we're getting good value. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a there's an interesting balance there between how much you want to self-manage and, and also what you're allowed to do because, you know, Vercel is probably attacking that enterprise market a little bit, but, you know, IT organizations can be very strict about how many additional places you're able to put code and use things and whatever else. And so, you know, if you're AWS org and you're like, no, you can't do this extra thing on top of it, figure out how to get your stuff here because everything's here. Something like Open Next would be pretty useful I mean, because Vercel doesn't offer database connections, right? So you're either on the path of finding your database provider as well, or maybe you have to use databases in AWS or something else. And again, if you're already in that ecosystem for some things, doing it for the rest might make sense too. I think it's interesting, and I don't want to like take it to the sense of, oh, they're challenging Vercel, but I do think that they're trying to say, you know, you can get a lot of these things on your own if you want to roll your own things to a degree. Yeah. Yeah, you get the nice sugar over there, but you can get some of these things. I mean, then there's tons of providers, though, that that offer Next.js support, right? They'll help you deploy your server-side rendered app or yeah. whatever, static app and, and all of those things. I know Netlify does do incremental static regeneration. They do have the support for that. 
Other ones, though, which I know will support deployments of particularly the static stuff, you know, like fly.io's thing is supposed to be about like having more zones, right? So it's super fast to everybody kind of thing. Cloudflare, they have the whole thing where you can push things into workers and whatever else. So again, I think speed-wise it would have some of the things, but uh, it's interesting how much focus on like breaking down the internals of Next.js a lot of places have done and just see what like, you know, maybe we latch onto this thing too. I don't know. I just, um, because that's attached to one company who's highly incentivized to change any internal API they need to, to make it work for themselves, you could be like chasing that for a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like anything, I guess it's all, you know, open source or whatever, but it's like anything that is built to make money is going to be optimized for the people making the money. It's, uh, you know, they don't want you to be able to do it as well as they can. They're going to always be the experts because <laughs> if you can, then they're out of business. So, like, there's got to be some level of, like, secrecy on what's coming down the pipe. And, like, you don't want to – it's not like – um, what's a good example? Like, like, when you put out a new iPhone, they tell everyone ahead of time of, like, this is what the size it's going to be so you can make cases. It's not like that. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like the iPhone itself. No one, they don't tell you anything about the new software or like internals of the hardware until it comes out because they don't want people like hacking the hardware or like doing jailbreaking or doing any of that stuff. So it's, it's similar to that of like protect your secret sauce, but you like, you know, promote the generic part, I guess. And then, yeah, you know, everyone can still kind of benefit. Especially when you're talking about greenfield projects and they get you to seeing something in production as quick as possible, multiple environments available. Like it's ideal for startups or, and then they want to scale with those folks, right? So I'm sure a lot of these things that you liked around analytics and speed insights, like I'm sure that their customers that have been with them for a bit have started to ask for these things. Mm -hmm. We want to scale up with you. And instead of paying four vendors, we could do more of it here. And then that makes it cost effective for us. And now the seats where it's two grand, 10 grand a month aren't as a big deal because we've trimmed bills otherwise too. And so like infrastructure that you scale all the way up with. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, they're having the potential for a full stack application because you have API routes, essentially serverless APIs right there. Uh, you just ORM connect to your database. If they do introduce a database aspect, given well, they're in AWS. They do have databases. Okay, so they do have databases. Yes, but I don't know the scope. So I know they had um, yeah, an announcement recently. What's it called? Like Planet Scale which is what the syntax guys used for their um, mm -hmm. thing where they were giving away their shirts and skate decks and stuff because um, they had to create codes for everybody and then like make sure that those codes were stored in a database and then stored whether it was like active or not and if like someone had used it or if it was locked to a person or not, that kind of stuff. And so they said like you get 2 million reads and 1 million writes or something like that for free, like on the free tier. Okay. And they did that and like used 1% of their like total allotment or something. So they were basically saying like you get a lot on the free tier. Mm. But what I don't know, like there was an announcement recently, I think something about like Postgres because everyone was like joking of like, oh, it's Heroku now. Like because Heroku was big into like the 
like deploy your Postgres and your front end and whatever. Mm. And so I think I think they have like like they have a, a page that I see that's Vercel Postgres, but it doesn't to a layman here. I don't know if this means like for sure that they're hosting it or like how exactly you can connect to it. They do mention you need like they recommend an ORM. Yeah. So like maybe there isn't a lot like baked in to make it nice. Like if you want, you know, a really user friendly experience, maybe something like Supabase is still better. But like I think they're getting there. So like they're working on being full stop, like everything you need for your app. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did see the Vercel storage thing and I think I got caught on like the Redis stuff and didn't really get into like full the Vercel Postgres, like actual powered by Neon. Okay. Yeah. I know they they announced the storage stuff a, a couple of weeks or so ago. Yeah. And I think the whole KV Redis thing is where I got stuck. Yeah. Serve files at the edge, powered by Cloudflare, and then a serverless SQL database built for the front end, powered by Neon. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I can see where the, again, trying to bring as much into their own infrastructure as possible. Okay. Yeah. Vercel Postgres, complex data made. Well, that's interesting. I don't know much about Neon and kind of where that lives, but it does, yeah, bring you in. Well, it's a noble gas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if it is, but <laughs> I was trying to make a joke, but I'm done yeah, there. Yeah. That's not your forte. Whiskey Web and Whatnot is brought to you by EmberConf. EmberConf is back in person this year in Portland for a special celebration of 10 years since the 1.0 release of Ember. It's been a long time. There are lots of great talks, as always, but I'm particularly excited about one Walk the Line convention in country music and development. So that just sounds like a really interesting talk, linking those two things together. And I'm, of course, excited for whatever magic Ed Faulkner drops in his keynote. Always fun stuff there. This year, the workshops are a little different, and they'll be included at no extra cost in a two-hour block during the second day of the conference. There's a lot of cool options there. There's a deep dive into building V2 add-ons, an intro to animations in Ember, and, of course, a live recording of this podcast. That's right. Whiskey Web and Whatnot will be live at EmberConf recording an episode in person. So if you're a fan, we would love to see you there. Space is limited for all of the workshops, so register soon to make sure you get space in your preferred one. I'm definitely excited to be back in person this year and hope to see Ember friends new and old in Portland July 20th to 21st for one of the best conferences in the business. Get your tickets now at emberconf.com. Well, I mean, speaking of, I uh, went to a barbecue this this past weekend. A friend had smoked a pork butt for 20 hours and then let it rest for another few. And it was like this whole ordeal. And, oh, this is a funny thing. And this is maybe more whatnot, but I'm still going to interject it right here. So there's a thing called the Napa Bean Club. Have you heard of this? Bean? Yeah, you know, like there's wine clubs all over and whatever else. So there are these heirloom yeah. beans. And I guess like forever ago, those farmers kind of got together and they're like, well, they do wine clubs. Why can't we do, let's do our beans. And our friends waited four years to get onto the bean club. Like and now they're part of it and you get like every quarter, like six pounds of beans or something ridiculous. And uh, yeah. Hmm. So speaking of gases. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah i can't imagine that they would be like i mean i guess the the draw is they there were like varieties you couldn't buy elsewhere or something 
I guess so, right? And they give you recipes with which to do, you know, different things with them. And again, it was tasty. Yeah. But I, I mean, obviously within this recipe with like, it was like baked beans, but it had like coffee and molasses and like other things in there. And it was like very richly flavored. So you, mm-hmm. I don't know, they could have probably put crickets in there. And I still been like, these beans are delicious because the sauce was good. <laughs> but uh, right. you know, the fact that that exists and the exclusivity, I think is a, kitschy kind of part of the whole thing like it's almost like tongue-in-cheek but then they mean it because yeah they ship you beans and you pay the money i don't know yeah i mean i think that's a thing with everything like if you make it exclusive people want it mm-hmm. which is hilarious like it doesn't matter what the thing is you're just like oh we've only got three of these though and they're like oh my god take my money right right <laughs> that's how we ended up with some weird jpegs but uh <laughs> again that's a, a thing for another day yeah so Okay, here it is, everything in there. And, you know, as a as a growing early company, I can see where these things become more and more appealing, you know, over time. Yeah, having like disparate ecosystems to do different things because you can cloud all the things now. I think over time you can get a little exhausted by that. I think you can end up spending crazy money and not really having a full grasp on your your budget. So, you know, some like make it easy. They're giving me everything. I think that's going to be the new age of products. And it's a fine line because like ClickUp kind of did this where like they did everything where it's like it was overwhelming. You came in, it's like, oh, we connect to like your blender, your toaster, your microwave, Mm. GitHub, Facebook, LinkedIn, like anything you want, we will connect to. And we have all these integrations and you have to learn all the commands for them and all this stuff. And then I was like, oh my God, like this is overwhelming. So there's, there's a lot of like UX work there to make it not overwhelming, which I think Vercel is doing well. But like, I think we're going to see a real emergence of everyone trying to do this of like, okay, everyone's paying five bucks a month here, 10 bucks a month here. If I can get rid of 10 products for them where they're doing that and charge them 50 bucks a month, they will want that. Mm -hmm. And that's, I agree. Like, Zencaster, I think, is trying to do that for podcasting. Like, <laughs> we're uh, going to be able to do a lot of stuff here. But I think it's very early still. So, like, a lot of it doesn't work. But they advertise a lot of it working and we'll give it a try. You know, that's a comparable model to, like, what has happened with subscription entertainment, right? Like, oh, cable bad, cable bad, cable keeps costing more and gives me 400 channels on a one and blah, 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 blah. And now they have commercials. Okay, so now we're like in an R more on-demand model, except for like everybody thinks they can charge you like $10, $15, $20 a month for their slice of the pie. Yeah. So it's hard to like put things together. Like I chase basically soccer competitions and it's like, ah, I have to have four or five different subscriptions to get all the games that I want. This definitely isn't better. So now you go into collusion with your friends and start exchanging logins and whatever else so that you can get around that system. But I think, yeah, the fallacy is that everybody thinks their product is worth so much too. And I think some of these subscription software services Mm -hmm. who maybe are just doing a very specific niche, there's not always like the, the value per dollar. In times of inflation, though, I guess everything should be 100 bucks a month. Yeah, there's like a lot of people online that are... uh calling for you know cable to come back like basically they're like hey i combined these 15 things what should we call it and everyone's like haha yeah it should be cable or whatever <laughs> like yeah yeah i really do think there will be some sort of well i mean obviously disney has the power to do a lot there mm-hmm. like they own a lot of the things they could 
which they're going to do, they're going to combine like Disney plus into Hulu and like all of that. So I think at some point Hulu maybe will be the more realistic option. I think, you know, some of the other ones, there's always going to be blackouts of like, you know, they don't get this because this company owns it or whatever. But um, I think there will start to be reaching across the aisle and like collaborating and figuring out Mm. how do we all make money while getting people basically a cable experience. Like, let's just talk directly to each other. We don't have to deal with like whatever cable company. We just deal directly with like, oh, Disney wants to talk to Fox and we want to both like take a couple of each other's shows or something and like offer them on our platform. Cool. Like, I think there'll be more of that because why would you want to deal with the middleman who's taking everyone's money for no reason? You guys can already ship the shows right to my house. So just give each other money and make more money, you know? Well, I think it was all about who was going to shoulder the burden of creating the infrastructure, right? Initially, cable was that, Mm -hmm. shouldering the burden of digging lines and whatever, running things wherever you could, telephone lines, normal, you know, new cable lines, all of that, that became the burden of creating the infrastructure. And then came the power of that. We created the infrastructure and now we sold up into whatever, AT&T or, you know, cable Comcast, all the cable companies. And then they were like the overarching negotiator, I guess, right? They get to tell HBO what their chunk is and then they deliver it to the customer in a package. So, yeah, yeah, I wonder if we started to get around that. So now we, they tried to do a direct delivery thing. It's still kind of convoluted because if you're smart, you know, if you're sitting back and you just want specific content that's not so time dependent, you can say, I want to watch the HBO show for a while. I pay them for a couple months. Now I stop. Now I'm going to watch the Netflix thing for a little while. Now I stop, you know, and you can just play the bounce around game, really, instead of having everything available all the time. Yeah, I, I fall victim to that mostly because like, who knows the whims of my children. And so they've yeah. just got a few things that would always be available to them. But otherwise you can kind of, but you could have your centralized negotiator and maybe the cuts aren't so deep because the infrastructure is there. Everybody wants a piece of the inter- internet. So yeah. it doesn't mean like Verizon or whomever else is going to own that because they own the fiber. I don't know. I always think, I think internet should be considered a utility at this point. Yeah. So a regulated utility, two things there. One, I think, well, let's go with two first. I already forgot what one is. My brain's really <laughs> not working today, but two, this company that I worked for, uh, for a while, I'm blanking on their name now and I'll think of it in a second, Clearly, yeah. but they basically were doing that of, uh, like commoditizing, like making generic fiber. Right. So it was easy for like, you know, you or I to be like, all right, I have Verizon tonight and like, I'm pissed off at Verizon. I want like, I don't know, another fiber provider, like, <laughs> but like, you know, mm-hmm. I guess theoretically any internet provider, so you could do Comcast or in, in a, who else, uh, Cox or whatever. And you could, it was as easy as like switching off CenturyLink. Yeah. Yeah. Switching off like HBO. Sponsored by CenturyLink. Yeah. So like, I think if you made it like that, where like basically you know, it was a generic fiber that connected everyone. And then internet companies were just, you know, doing the behind the scenes stuff. Then it's much easier to get like, you're not locked into, oh, there's only one provider in my area and like they can charge me whatever they want or like 
all of that crap. And, and that'd make it really easy. And I remember what my first point was now. <laughs> I think the problem with like figuring out, you know, I'm going to turn on and off stuff is we're just tired, right? So like HBO, okay, I have to remember to turn it off. I have to remember what shows are coming up and what do I want to watch? And I don't know. And it's just like decision fatigue and just like you almost need new services that like cancel your old ones when you want them to, you know, right? Like just a big dashboard that's like, here's all the things that I pay for. And like, I don't want to log into all of them. I just want to be like, cancel, 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 start, start, start. Like Mm -hmm. that's what we're kind of at. And I would rather have like pay a few more dollars a month and not think about that and have some like service do that for me. You just created a startup for somebody possibly. And if this, then that. There we go. Managing your financial subscriptions. And you could just start it based on Mm. manage my entertainment subscriptions. And then it just, you know, you have some credentials and it's... Some of that's out there. Yeah. But it's, I think it's more manual. It's like, you know, they reach out to the company and tell them you want to cancel and stuff. Yeah. I've seen those where it will like... But I want this to like hook into APIs. Yeah. Yeah. Automated. Right. Not the whole like, oh, look at all the subscriptions I have and see what you can negotiate and or cancel. I tell you if I want you to negotiate me a better one because they also take account for like your wireless bill, your cable bill or whatever it was. And then they'll, they'll try to negotiate on your behalf. And then they take a chunk of the savings and that's the fee. Mm. And I remember those. Right. But this is just, yeah. just manage them for me. Yeah. It'd be kind of nice, especially if you were like, oh yeah, you know, we're going on vacation for a month. So just turn off everything for this month, for example, things like that. That would be kind of interesting. I don't know if it exists, but it could be a good one. Yeah. Could we do it with Open Next? Another one is uh, that I've always wished existed, which is top of mind since we're about to be moving, is, uh, you know, I'm moving. Mm -hmm. Just find everything that has the address I'm currently at and change it to my new address. Ooh, that's another nice one. Because, like, you will inevitably be like, oh, yeah, I got everything. I got it all. And then there's, like, an automated subscription that you only get every eight months that comes and goes to the wrong address. Then it's already delivered to the wrong address. What do I do? Mm. How do I get it back? Like, it's frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and that's if you notice the extra charge. So, yeah, we are moving on Friday and we are probably about halfway done packing. And I still have only packed like two boxes, which <laughs> is similar to like the last time we packed. Wait, so hold on. You're halfway done packing and you pack two. So Robbie only owns four boxes and the rest is your wife and child or? No. Um, You're just not contributing well, yeah. So enough. I'm working during the days like and I'm bad and slow at packing and stuff cuz like I'm more and more convinced that I have ADHD and like can't focus on stuff and like as we had twice in this episode my brain just stops working and like mm. I see something shiny and I'm like, "Oh, like I forgot what I was doing." Squirrel. Yeah. So like it's hard for me to pack like if I get a 2-hour block to pack I'll pack, you know, one box and Caitlin would have packed 10. Mm. So it's like, it's just by default that I am not really in charge of that. <laughs> I see. Well, there you go. That really gets to the yeah. the heart and crux of it. It's funny because my brother actually just sold his house. Also, well, he signed contracts and whatever else. So he'll be moving at the end of next month. Mm. So he's in a similar situation. He's moving to Boise. And uh yeah. I was kind of trying to figure out the logistics of that and packing somewhere else. I suggested pods. I like pods 
you know, especially if you don't know where you're going to land as much, they drop you off the pods, you pack up the pods, they eventually get your pods, they'll store your pods. And then when you say, take my pods here, they bring them there and then you have a few days to unpack too. So it's a little more like leisurely than like renting a truck or having movers or whatever else. Yeah, I'm, I don't disagree with the concept, but we had movers that we really liked before and they also do storage. So we're just going to use them again and they're going to store all our stuff until we find a house. Yeah. Because that just sounded easier. It's a shame that you are going to be homeless with your baby, but, well, you know, you're, uh, you got a tent. Yeah. I mean, if I had enough money to buy a house, I would. <laughs> <laughs> your timing is not great. Let's just say that. Yeah. Like with the interest rates, it's, you can afford a lot less than you could before. Yeah. And uh, we could definitely couldn't afford what we had before. So like trying to get something less expensive so that we're not as strapped for cash. Mm -hmm. And then like also trying to be in a competitive market in Great Falls. And like we offered on a house and there were seven other offers and we did not get it. So, <laughs> so that just goes to show you that the Fed did not necessarily fix inflation and definitely didn't equalize the market. The only thing they did was screw the job market. They screwed the, the employment market and then they gave a platform for retail pricing mm -hmm. to gouge. Yep. This feels like the only things. Yeah. So we're continuing the problem where the problem is that circling back to Target, that all corporations are making record profits every quarter, record profit, record profit, record profit. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. If they didn't make record profits and pay CEOs $250 million each, then, you know, we could all afford to buy some bread and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> like it's eggs are at like yeah. all time record profits. So like things. Yeah. If someone would like run for president that actually would fix that, like, I don't care if you do anything about anything else, just take four years and like actually tax corporations. Don't give them all these loopholes and bullshit and like mm -hmm. let them have record profits. And all right. Like, hold on, Robbie, this is not a political podcast because I feel like we can go down this, <laughs> this route. Okay. I mean, you can be non, non, you can be middle of the aisle and definitely discuss some of these things yeah. in a way, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm not going into the polarizing issues. Like, I feel like... Right. Citizens United is the problem, is that you can't fairly tax the folks who are fueling politics. Yeah. And Citizens United be allowed corporations to be considered individuals and contribute directly to campaigns. Besides lobbying. I mean, lobbying aside, right? Like, all of that is a whole other thing, but... The fact that a corporation has a much louder voice than you because they have more money and that's the reality. Yeah. So it won't really matter. Yeah. Well, nothing that we say matters. Like, well, let's just find out what country we're moving to next. Oh my gosh. Polarizing issue. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so Robbie's moving again. I feel like we're not even a hundred episodes in and this is the second or third time you're moving. Yeah. This is the third house that I will have been have moved into during this podcast. Yeah. Are you sick of that yet? Oh, yeah. You want to live anywhere? <laughs> yeah. Permanently? Yeah. No, we want to. It's just, uh, well, we, part of the problem is we never lived out here. We like had visited. And I think a good thing for everyone to do if you want to move to a new area is maybe rent for a while. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably not going to heed my own advice because we're pretty sure that Great Falls is going to be nice. But, uh, if there's an area that you're not 100% for sure on, rent there 
or like stay there for a week or something, at least like figure out where's your closest grocery store and like where, what are your restaurants? How far are you driving to X, Y, Z? Because the day-to-day stuff matters a lot. And if you don't think about that, you're like, oh, this is a beautiful property and like the house is nice and whatever. You're not thinking about, oh, it takes me an hour just to drive to and from Target. Mm-hmm. Like that's not including the shopping there or whatever else. It's just <laughs> the driving there. And that's annoying. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a lifestyle shift. Yeah. Like more holistically and you think about your regular conveniences, those things get pretty challenging. Yeah. Well, best of luck on the next one. And no matter what, <laughs> you've got a five-year contract there. You better stay. Doesn't matter. Can't be that bad, you know, if you move closer to town. Yeah. Well, Caitlin has said that even if she hates it, we're going to live there. So, like, <laughs> we're going to f- figure out a way to make it work. Because, like, the schools will be good and we want Finn to, like, grow up in one house for a while. So, yeah, but there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, best of luck around that. Yeah, Thanks. Okay, so, and that's, yeah, we're creeping into summer. You got any uh, big summer plans aside from finding a home? Well, I mean, we're just, yeah, we're just going to be living at the lake for like the whole summer. And it seems like stuff just keeps getting piled on. Like Mm. we have Render ATL, we have the new like announced Tailwind conference. My dad has this thing he wants me to go to. EmberConf is in July, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, dear listener, we are working on taking this show on the road and experimenting with that a little bit. Render ATL will be there trying to record some some mini pods and just see kind of co- what comes out of that. There's just so many interesting speakers and it's a real like kind of cultural to do within mm-hmm. our industry. So I, I just think like going there and taking some of the experience and maybe recording some snippets and I don't know. We'll see what kind of comes out of that. And of course, the big one is EmberConf in July, where we're going to do a live recording, which is, I know, kind of contradictory, but, <laughs> you know, do a live recording. We could stream it too. Yeah, it would be cool. If people want to join. Yeah, that would be interesting. I can't wait to see how you figure that out. But in general, we want to engage with an audience and kind of bring that into yeah. play. We're going to have four Evos, four laptops, four microphones. I don't know who the other two people are going to be. They're going to talk, but I was just making it sound obnoxious. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, wow, good for you that you've thought that far ahead technologically, because uh, aside from like having the roadcaster board and four plugins, I was like, I don't know what else we're going to do. But maybe cameras, bi-directional kind of thing. Who knows? Yeah, that's is part of our big summer plans, though. I will also be like roasting in the heat as I did this past weekend because for some reason <laughs> I put off all of my outside chores until it's 100 degrees. And then that's when you want to do them. Now's a great time to do some big landscaping. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. But then when you need a little time to cool off, I suggest picking up the new Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, mm-hmm. which I have yeah. done and has become a mini obsession of mine when I have snippets of time to dive into that world. Did you get the game yet? Yeah, it's been very sad because it's been sitting on my coffee table and I have not been able to put it in and play it because I have had infinite stuff to do with the move and selling the house and all that. Mm-hmm. And I believe I thought you were going to let Caden play it first and then maybe you'd pick oh no 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 that's another rob who's a perhaps a better husband 
Yes, uh, Kelsey is playing it. I've heard about her playing it a lot. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) My wife's not really into video games, so I'm kind of lucky in that respect that I I got right on it. I did kind of steal it back from my son who was playing Mario Brothers uh, Odyssey. Yeah, I think it's Odyssey. Mm -hmm. as that whole like kind of big world thing. And I'm like, well, son, you're going to play your iPad for a little while because daddy needs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm upset that I haven't been able to play it and I don't foresee being able to play it for a while. And then Diablo 4 comes out June 6th and I will be playing that nonstop. So mm. I may not be able to start Zelda until like August or something. You're pri- really prioritizing it. Well, I mean, the good news is, is everybody will have figured out all the weird stuff by then. And, and so you can just be like, oh, I'm stuck somewhere or I saw this thing. Yeah. Okay. Where is it? There might even be like DLC or patches or nice things before then. Both of those. <laughs> and Nintendo's actually releasing an official guide too mm. directly, which is something they hadn't done for, I think, for a while, or at least I hadn't seen. I remember as a kid, you could, you know, it'd be like the new Super Mario Brothers game or a Zelda game, and then they release the guide through the Nintendo magazine. Yeah. You could like pay extra 10 bucks and you get the guide or whatever. Oh, yeah. I used to get Nintendo Power. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. Yeah. I uh, actually won like my one and only contest mm. through Nintendo Power. I uh, applied to get a surfing Pikachu, hmm. which was a thing in Pokemon Yellow. Okay. And, uh, I did not send it in because you could just use a Game Shark and get one. So like, oh, right. I already had one at that point, and I was like, whatever. But uh, <laughs> I kind of wish I had done it because I bet there was like different art for it, and like there was probably something special about it. But yeah, all that extra effort you missed out on. Yeah, that's funny. I won something at a rat. I went to an Insight event with my brother last week, and Insight kind of is a company that provides a bunch of like hardware and software enterprise sales and management solutions. I don't know. They can Yeah. We use them to buy our stuff. Exactly. That's yeah. why he was invited to the event. Mm-hmm. It was called Device Day. Went there, had uh I came later than him and ended up in the first 10 minutes winning a laptop in their raffle. <laughs> nice. An HP Elite Book. It's like $2000 laptop. So it's wow. a very nice win and they gave away a bunch of stuff. I've spent like 30 minutes on it, you know, set it up initially and then immediately started looking into how to run Linux on it. Yeah. Run Linux on it, play games on it. Like, cause you can't play games on Macs, really. No, but it's only an i5. And mm-hmm. I started trying to just look at through the, like the EA app. Can I run FIFA on this? And it's, it wasn't great in the boot up experience. Maybe if I got an external do like an external graphics right. processor, right? Right, yeah. Haven't messed with that. I think you have one, so maybe something with that. Yeah, I tried it. It's, uh, I don't know that I would, it's not great. It's not as good as having like an internal one that's good. Yeah. Because like the idea is solid. Just I feel like people haven't executed well. It Like it disconnects a lot. And if it disconnects like mid game, especially if you're playing online or something, like mm. you're going to get lag and get killed or whatever. And like, it's not ready for prime time. I think it's a good idea. It's just not executed well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And to make a laptop more useful with that, right? Essentially, you'd want to be like, oh, I have this laptop. It can take anywhere. It can do the things I want. And then, but you're still kind of tethered to a desktop experience in a way because there's this whole big block thing. Yeah. I mean, that I need to do. You're not going to be able to have a mobile gaming experience with like, 
you know, the highest quality graphics in a game like FIFA. Yeah. Unless you have something else to plug into. Because they'll, like, even if it called up, like, the laptops can handle it. Mm-hmm. Then they'll just increase the graphics. It'll be like 8K or whatever. Like, oh, right. you're always chasing it and you're never going to make it. So, yeah. This is the problem with, like, things like Stadia not not lasting. Because it was amazing. Yeah. It was this take anywhere experience. And they they were taking the you know, the crux of the processing, but maybe someday. Yeah. The Steam Deck looks appealing. And I know, I think AMD is releasing a Steam Deck alternative. So mm. somebody trying to play in that space as well. Yeah. I mean, I just don't do that much computer gaming. Although you uh, can't play Diablo 4 on Mac. You could play 3 on Mac. So I'm going to have to figure out something because I can't even boot camp on an M1. Mm. So... I'm going to end up just taking like my whole desktop to the lake <laughs> so that I can play games. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's kind of where you're at. If you want to be a little more mobile, just just kidding, you can't. Yeah. So if you don't have like a, a serious monitor to take with you too. Well, yeah, so that's another option, I guess. So I could take the uh, the iMac, the all-in-one. Like I have an iMac that has an Intel processor, so that would work. Hmm. But yeah. Food for thought. Yeah, well, we are over time here. So thanks everyone for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe, leave us some ratings and reviews, and we will catch you next time. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.